first of all, I want to say how absolutely grateful I am to be here. I'm giving great gratitude to Reverend Dr. Edward Fulyun for inviting me to his pulpit. It is really something special when a minister says, come and speak at my house. And I'm, I'm grateful for that. Sometimes I'm also not quite sure whether or not the invitation is extended because they think I'll do a great job or because they think you'll be so grateful when they come back. (laughs) You know, given who they've left you in the hands of. But today, I am going to make every effort to be a good steward of you and this community, which I feel an affiliation with because I went to school here. I did my ministerial training right here in these very halls. And so I like to start with mm, a capstone that is the culmination of all of the things from Science of Mind 1 right on through. And that capstone, one of my favorite spiritual practices, and we are going to talk a little bit about spiritual practices today, is prayer. So I like to start with praying myself in. I even put it on my notes. Pray me in. And so I invite you to join me in, first of all, taking a deep breath, inhale, and release. (sighs) And as we release the breath, we allow ourselves to be reminded that the breath is the divine at the center and core of our being, that it is indeed God, Oludumare, Allah, whatever name we choose to use, that is breathing us. It is breathing us individually and collectively. And collectively, we reside and we have our absolute being in that place that we call the one. And so what I know, what I declare, and what I accept is that from that place of the one, of oneness, there is a divine communication taking place right here, right now, in this place that has been made so sacred, so sacred by everyone who has come before us, by everyone upon whose shoulders we stand, by all of the spiritual mm, geniuses who have shared their hearts, their hopes, and their love with each and every one of us. And so it is with a humble and deep sense of gratitude that I release this word to the immutable and perfect law that always and in always simply says yes. And I invite you to join me in releasing this word by collectively declaring ashe. Amen. And so it is. And virtual family, I hope you understand that that included you. And if it didn't just... Give an amen right now so that we can all be anchored in this place. So the wonderful people who are on the committee that makes up the themes and the topics for the year picked this year of 2023 to declare that we are living out loud, living out loud. Now, living out loud in and of itself means that if you've been hiding out, if you've been peeking, if you've been kind of watching other people do what they do, it is now your 
turn. It is now my turn. The world is calling for us to all live out loud. Back in the days, we used to talk about living our truth, living from our truth. Back in my day of the mm, parts of, I'm not going to give you a date because then you start counting, well, how old is she anyway? But back in my day of some parts of the civil rights movement, there was a cry where the speaker would say, what time is it? And the people would respond, it's nation time, meaning that it is time to build a nation. I am asking what time it is, what time is it, and inviting us to consider that it is planet time, meaning that it is time for us to absolutely claim our dominion, right? I'm inviting us in religious science to consider that all of the goodies, all of the good stuff that we have gotten from our practice in this thing called science of mind or religious science, it's time to whatever term you want to use, time to give back, time to circulate, time to share, time to no longer be the best kept secret. And the way that we stop being the best kept secret is through our practice. It's through what we do. It's through how we walk in the world. The theme for the month is the power of vulnerability. Now, I wish I could just stand here and say to you, yeah, I looked at that and I said, okay, this is a piece of cake. (laughs) I did not. In fact, my first temptation, because I know someone on the committee that makes these things up, was to call her and ask her, what was she thinking? <laughs> what, was on, what kind of conversation did you all have to come up with this? <sighs> and then I had to sit with it. As I ask you to sit with this idea of the power, that means that within vulnerability, there is some kind of an authority, there is some kind of a power, there is some kind of a strength that we can use. Hmm. Ernest Holmes said, there's a power for good in the universe and you can use it, right? You all have heard that before, yes? Yes, that's not foreign to you? Okay, let's take that to this power of vulnerability is one of those or an aspect of that power for good that Ernest Holmes talked about. When we look at it that way, we might even consider it as a spiritual practice. We might even consider it as one of the qualities of the divine. We might even consider that since we're here in this time frame, in this place, and this is our theme, that it might be a call to and for action for each and every one of us. Now, I took the title for the week and I tweaked it just a tad, as I am often inclined to do, to say the power of vulnerability not just nice, 
not just nice. What does that mean? That means that we are going to look at vulnerability not so much as a thing that I'm doing for someone else, number one, that it's something that I'm doing for myself, but for that self that is the core of me, for that self that I've owned, again, through my participation in this thing called religious science or science of mind, I have acknowledged that I believe that there is a self that exists at the center of me that I call the Christ, that I call that consciousness, that awareness that both connects me with all of life as well as calls forth that which is both uniquely and divinely mine to do, meaning that our individual expression of vulnerability is going to be individualized because we are individual expressions of the divine. And that Christ consciousness is what connects me. It is the heart, if you will, of this principle that we call oneness, which means that we all get to express this power, like a superpower of vulnerability. Amen? Amen. Uh, Y'all sound a little shaky there. Can we try that one more time? Amen. Amen. Yes. Yes, yes. Now, let's get into, I like to get, you know, your buy-in before I tell you what you're actually buying into. Let's get into a little bit of the detail. First, I want to suggest that we are right now at a particularly magical time, at a vortex, if you will, that is so perfect for the experience and expression of this idea of vulnerability. Today is Palm Sunday. Mm-hmm. Palm Sunday And yes, I'm going a little into the Christian piece and a little into that last third of the Science of Mind textbook where Ernest Holmes talks about the teachings of Jesus. We familiar with that? Mm, Yes. Okay. All righty. A thing, by the way, that was not in my bio that I toy with putting it in there is that I consider myself to be a sanctified, born-again religious scientist. <laughs> okay? Just, just so we know where we're springboarding from. So today is Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday being a week before Easter, it is the day that the man Jesus, who encompassed the Christ consciousness, rode into Jerusalem on a donkey or an ass, if you will, with a crown of thorns, right? Actually, see, I've left my Christianity a little bit behind. The thorns was next week when he's carrying the cross. But my point is that he rode in on a donkey. He was going in to be persecuted. He was going in knowing what he was going to face. The people, the people. Now, so he was going in to face government 
persecution. He was going to be tried. He knew he was going to be executed. The whole nine yards was already a part of his consciousness, a part of his awareness. But the people laid palms out in front of him. The people said effectively that we see you, we hear you, we love you, we support you. Now, in doing this, I invite us to consider that the people were expressing their power of vulnerability. How so? So when someone is under, and particularly in those times, although I'm not so sure it's that different from these times, but particularly when someone is been charged with a crime, is sure to be convicted, to align yourself with that individual involves risk. To say to that individual, I love you, I see you, I support you, is risky business. It is being vulnerable to suffering the same consequences. But yet, they laid out the palms in front of him. In the metaphysical Bible, the wonderful founder of the unity religion, one of our sister New Thought religions, Charles Fillmore says that the palms represent a consciousness of victory. It is something that denotes winning over, overcoming all of that is the symbolic representation of the palms. So now today is Palm Sunday. We're talking about the vortex that we're living in right now. We just had the spring equinox on March 20th. Now it's taken the weather a minute to catch up with the calendar, but nonetheless, it is spring. For those that celebrate spring, there is this idea that it is a time for a new awakening. Passover starts this week, April 5th to 13th. Passover is the Hebrew nation celebration of passing out of slavery, coming out of the institution of slavery in Egypt. Ramadan. March 23rd to April 21st, a time of giving up food during the day so that we can absolutely be one with the divine. On the Buddhist calendar, there is a New Year, <clears throat> excuse me, a New Year celebration coming up. We're talking about being in the vortex. We're talking about having no excuse for not allowing ourselves to fall into this place of vulnerability. What does it mean? Now, Merriam-Webster says it means capable of being physically or emotionally wounded, open to attack or damage, assailable, vulnerable to criticism. 
Now, those first three, four things sound really horrible. Again, why would I raise my hand for that? And I invite us to consider that that last one, vulnerable to criticism, is the one that we are most afraid of, right? How many of us walking around in our everyday lives actually think we're going to be physically harmed? Now, emotionally wounded, again, that's another mm, horse of another color. Because not only do we often experience emotional woundedness, but we sometimes inflict it. And we sometimes inflict it as a defense mechanism, as a way of warding off what we think, aka what we made up, may be coming our way. Now, Brene Brown softened the definition a little bit. She says, vulnerability is a state of emotional exposure that comes with a certain degree of uncertainty. It involves a person's willingness to accept the emotional risk that comes from being open and willing to love and be loved. I want to invite us to consider that last part, willing to love and be loved. Vulnerability requires care. It requires that we care for each other. It requires that we care for ourselves. But caring from, for ourselves from a perspective, from a place of, one, remembering and this is my sanctified religious science part now, I did tell you about that, who and whose I am. I'm going to say that again. Remembering who and whose I am. That means remembering that Christ that exists at the center and core of my being. Because when I remember that, when I have that at the forefront of my consciousness, then what I also remember is that there is a part of me that has never been hurt, that cannot be hurt, and never will be hurt. Now, am I suggesting that all I have to do is say Christ five times, and then it'll be okay. I'm absolutely not. I am absolutely not. But I am suggesting that we are living in a time where we have the opportunity, where we have the framework, where we have the responsibility to take down our shields where we have the opportunity to see each other first as the Christ that exists within each one of us. I am suggesting that as we allow ourselves, because we have to let ourselves see that, particularly when we're in the midst of the thing, of the argument, of the discussion, of seeing the person on TV and thinking all the horrible things that we can think about the person on TV because they may be saying something that we disagree with. Our earth, our planet, our children, our relatives, everyone and everything that we 
think we love, that we say we love, is calling for us to demonstrate that love in a much more powerful and personal way. In The Four Pivots, which is a book by Sean Genwright that I understand you all have used in a class here, and I looked, so it's in the bookstore if you wanted to buy one. In The Four Pivots, in pivot number three, which is from transactional to transformative, from transactional, meaning that we're not just having deals with each other. We're not just having experiences of exchange, if you will. From transactional to transformative, Sean Genwright says, there are some questions and actions that we can use to lean into vulnerability in our work toward justice. For the most part, these questions encourage deeper thinking about what we're doing on a daily basis. And then he gives two questions. Do I have transformative relationships with the people in my community? Meaning, do I have authentic relationships and conversations? Now, I'm going to demonstrate a little vulnerability here. For me, this is a call to let go of code shifting. Raise your hand if you know what code shifting is. One, two, three. Let me tell y'all about code shifting. <laughs> so first of all, it's something that not just black people do, but I must say we kind of perfected it and made a real science out of it, out of necessity. Because sometimes vulnerability is not voluntary, right? Sometimes vulnerability is the position that you're in regardless because you need to feed your family, you need to pay your bills, etc., etc. Code shifting means that I behave in the way that I either A, ex think that you expect me to behave, and or B, I behave in a way that I know is going to make you think of me in a particular way, safe, generally, safe. Now, while I'm having this interaction with you, and I want to suggest that women do this, I want to suggest that men do this in their workplaces. We don't quite call it code shifting, and it's not quite to the same level, but I'm suggesting that we all do a little code shifting in our lives when we're being anything other than authentically who we are. And we have reasons and we have excuses. And I am suggesting that in a time when our whole vocabulary about how we describe the weather is shifting, right? When we have rainstorms that are going on in the at atmospheric, what's it called? At atmospheric river. Atmospheric river. 
when we have atmospheric rivers going on, it might be a time, it just might be a time when we can have authentic conversations with each other. It might be a time when we can love up on each other. It might be a time when we can individually and collectively see the divine within each other, where we can not put our differences aside, but have conversations about our differences. Not with the goal of agreeing, but with the goal of understanding. To Sean Ginwright's two questions, I've added two more. The first being, am I safe with myself? Am I safe with myself? Do I even know who I am? Do I tell the truth to myself about myself? And finally, do I trust myself? Do I trust myself enough to be vulnerable with myself in the mirror? What's she talking about? Of course I tell the truth to myself. Do we? Hmm. Do we? Principle says, truth teachings say, new thought says, that as I develop that trust for myself, then I am more easily and more readily available to trust you. That does not mean that I get to do all the work on myself first and then I go out into the world. It means that we live in a reciprocal, reciprocating universe and that that is the way we are called to be with each other. As I trust myself a little bit, as I decide that I'm safe with myself a little bit, then I have the conversation with you. Then I have the conversation with you that is from my authentic self. I have the conversation with you that shares that I'm not code shifting anymore. I have the conversation with you that says, this is who I am. Nappy hair and all. This is who I am I love myself the way I am, and I love you too. Because since I've started loving myself, valuing my authenticity, I'm suddenly curious about who you are, who you authentically are, not who I made you up to be. And as that exchange takes place, my own self-knowledge, self-understanding grows. So does yours. Then we get to come back and do it again and again and again and again. And that is how we create the world that works for everyone. 
or as I like to say, the world in which everyone has the opportunity to thrive. Ernest Holmes says there is an irresistible potential pressing against everyone for self-expression. If we listen, we shall hear it, not as a voice, but as a feeling, as a divine urge to express. I invite us to consider that we cannot do it on TikTok, Instagram, Twitter, blogs, note cards, cell phones, emails, Zoom, Facebook, websites, none of the above. This is an up-close and personal conversation and opportunity that we have. The stakes are very, very high. But we, individually and collectively, have everything, everything that is required. Everything. I leave you with this idea that what is required is care. What is required is love. What is required is a recognition of our interconnectedness. Authenticity and meaningful connection are born out of vulnerability. It is not weakness. It is about showing up and being seen even in the face of fear. The call is to examine the areas of our lives where we've been resistant to vulnerability and to go step boldly into it, even if our knees are knocking. Ashe? Amen. Amen. Aho. Thank you.